Blog Talk Radio. The headlights are a cut in the fog on a midnight highway. And 18 wheels are a driving through the dawn. There's a Blue Ridge Mountain sunrise filling the mirror. Ashtrays full, the coffee's almost gone And the truckers heading west to Colorado Passing the miles with his friends on the CB coast And tonight the truck stops somewhere out in nowhere And tomorrow's the wind and the open road Riding that diesel wine Chasing that long white line Dropping that load on time And he's going home Hi everybody and welcome to the Interactive Internet I'm your host, Pete Carr Welcoming you to our Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening show And uh well, we got uh, we have quite uh, quite a show lined up for you today. We are primarily going to be talking about the Charleston or the uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, excuse me, Chattanooga, Tennessee uh, shootings. Of course, we had the Charleston shooting. Uh, it seems like every time I hear about one of my towns, it is um, pr- preceded by the word shooting. And that's uh, that's rather unfortunate, but that's uh, that's what's been going on lately, and that's what we're going to be talking about primarily today is the major shootings that happened Thursday at uh, two recruiting offices in the Chattanooga metropolitan area, and uh, we missed last Sunday. We also do celebrity passings, folks. Uh, we'll mention a. Uh, a celebrity or a person of note uh, who has passed away. And in doing the show last week, we completely skipped over the passing of Omar Sharif. So we'll do that for a few minutes, and then we'll get into the uh, into the chat with the topic. Anyway, uh, here we are. I am uh, down just south of Atlanta, Georgia, and I was just talking to uh, to Lou prior to the show. Uh, Lou is on. Hi, Lou. At least you got past Atlanta. Yeah, I'm south of Atlanta. I'm between Atlanta and Macon. And, uh, it took me about 45 minutes to go 25 miles. Um, when I came off the Interstate 675 over on the east side of Atlanta, I hit 75 south. It was just bumper to bumper, wall to wall south. Uh, anyway, I normally... Uh, when I run from Denver to Florida every week, I normally go up and down through uh, Chattanooga. I go up I-75, and at the two-mile marker, it's, and I take Interstate 24 west up through Chattanooga, um, up over Mont Eagle, 
and uh, through Nashville and up uh, past Fort Campbell, Kentucky, up into Kentucky and southern Illinois. So I go through Chattanooga at least once, if not twice a week, folks. And I know that one of the recruiting centers that was attacked uh, is right there by Interstate 24. You can see it off of the, off the highway. And I believe the shooter in traveling from one recruiting center to the other had to go over or under, but he crossed I-24. Anyway, um, that's what's going on, folks. Uh, everybody has heard all of the news about it. And uh, we will get off into that in a minute. But I do, you know, Lou, and, and I really hate to start the show and, and change mid-topic and go to the Chattanooga shootings, but we did miss uh, the passing of Omar Sharif on the 10th of July. Um, Omar right. Sharif was uh, 83 years old. He was born in Alexandria, Egypt. Um came from a fairly well-to-do family and, uh, and got into uh, got into acting. And, of course, like they say, the rest is history. Uh, everybody knows of, uh, of Omar Sharif and, uh, and the movies that he has done. Um, wasn't it? I think it was... Uh, he was in Funny Girl, and I think he played Mickey in Funny Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I remember reading several of the reports about him and his death and, and life and all that. Um, Omar Sharif, if you don't know, folks, was a huge bridge. He enjoyed uh, contract bridge, and he, uh, he loved horse racing. And he said one time that he jumped at the chance uh, to play Nicky in Funny Girl because Nicky was a gambler. And he could combine his two passions, uh, cards and acting. So he was very much in his element, and, and that was that was what really made him happy was that movie. Anyway, uh, Omar Sharif, and you know, going to Wikipedia and read his uh, read his biography sometimes. Very interesting, uh, interesting person. Um, I'm just glancing over his uh, bio right now, Lou, and it says uh, <clears throat> it says Sharif, who spoke Arabic, English, Greek, French. Spanish and Italian fluently was often cast mm-hmm. as a foreigner of some sort. Wow. He spoke Arabic, English, Greek, French, Spanish, and Italian fluently. And those are not easy languages to learn, some of them. No. No, but they're all, um, well, Arabic is not. Um English, Greek, French, Spanish, and Italian are all Romance languages. Right. So that's not that's not hard. You know, that's not hard if you if you know you know if you know Italian, you know Spanish. You can get a, you can get by in Spanish or English or whatever. You can, you can transfer from one language to the other because they all have their roots in Latin. Mm-hmm. That's what they call it, Romance languages, not not Romance as in. Uh, you know, love and romance, but romance as right. Roman. Right. And I know he had a uh, he had a column in the newspapers for years and wrote some books on bridge, very uh, 
very involved in contract bridge, uh, all of his life. Anyway, folks, uh, Omar Sharif, 83 years old, had, uh, had quite a career in acting. I'm sure that everybody has seen him in something, Dr. Zhivago or, or Funny Girl for sure, uh, one or the other. And uh, we missed uh, mentioning him last, uh, last Sunday. Anyway, um, do you have a word about Omar Sharif before we move on to Lou? All I know is that he was a fantastic actor. I, I enjoyed everything he was in. He was very personable. Yeah, he came across on the screen as, as kind of a likable person, even when he did Funny Girl. You know, mm-hmm. because because Nicky Arnstein was, was kind of a rogue. I mean, he was a, a gambler, and, you know, he took a lot of chances, and, and it was... Um, it was a tumultuous relationship in uh, in Funny Girl, but he still had that. He had that likability even while he was losing your money. Right. Yep. Okay. And um, did we miss anybody else last week? I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. I really don't okay. remember. Okay, I don't think so either. If we did, we'll pick them up next week. Yeah. Okay. Um, Thursday, Thursday morning up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, a young, uh, apparently Kuwaiti American uh, and uh, naturalized American citizen uh, went into a National Guard recruiting office uh, and killed four Marines uh, I'm not sure if the four were the one, but he had gone to two different recruiting centers and uh, killed four Marines Thursday. There was one um, naval petty officer that was wounded that uh, passed away last night. Uh, so that's five victims. And uh, apparently at the second recruiting station, there was a gun battle with the, uh, with the Chattanooga police an FBI and this uh, individual, and they killed um, this young man who had gone and shot up and killed our four Marines at Montserrat. Anyway, they're still working on why this guy did this. Apparently, he had traveled to Jordan last year. Now, let's remember, this guy was originally from Kuwait and... uh, I think his parents immigrated to the United States. He went to high school in the United States. He went uh, uh, went to some college. Uh, he, he did some college. I don't know if he graduated college or not, but he did go to high school here in the States uh, as an electrical engineer. Apparently, he worked up at a nuclear power plant up in Ohio. Uh, he started work at a nuclear power plant in Ohio and for one reason or another, couldn't get clearance, and they had to let him go there. He came back down to uh, Tennessee and was trying to get on uh, with a nuclear power plant in Tennessee. Um, that never happened. But he was uh, trained as an electrical engineer. The motive for this is still not known, folks. There are people who did several different things. 
um, mass murder for sure. And I think mass murder in the United States is defined by uh, the murder of three or more people. There were five victims, so we have a uh, mass murderer. A lot of people are talking about domestic terrorism. Uh, If this was an act of domestic terrorism, or was it an ISIS-inspired act of terrorism? And with the shooter dead a long time before we know, what motivated this dude to pull the trigger on five people? It's going to be a while time. So right now all we have is the armchair quarterbacks at the Internet out there speculating as to why he did it. They're coming up with all sorts of little tidbits of information and misinformation and everything. And at this point, I have not, you know, I'm reserving judgment as to why he did it until there's some sort of a clear motive that uh, that can be pinned on to him. In the meantime, we have four Marines and one uh, one sailor that's dead. In, in an act of murder in a public place in our country, that's, what, that, that's the facts as I know them right now. And like I said, I actually drive by that, Lou. I, I drive, you know, they were talking at one time about, about he had crossed the interstate to get to the other place, and they were talking about um, Interstate 24, which I travel all the time. Mm-hmm. The main focus of what I'd like to talk about today is is the firearm aspect. Now, in his case, apparently, to to the best of my understanding, some of the weapons he used were gained legally, and at least one was gained illegally. But the point being is that he could get his hands on firearms and commit murder. Um, There are people of two different camps here. One is that uh, arm all of our military recruiters nationwide. And the other camp is that we should take away all the guns in the country. We should simply do away with the Second Amendment, uh, make all firearm possession by civilians illegal, and take away all guns. I'm really not in favor of either one of those. Now, I am not in favor of the latter. I am certainly not in favor of doing away with our Second Amendment rights. That's completely off the table for me, folks. We have the right to keep and bear arms. That stands as it is. Now, in recent months, Lou, and everybody else, uh, a number of states have passed open carry laws where if you are licensed to carry a concealed firearm, you can then carry that in concealed. It doesn't need to be concealed anymore. Uh, other states have simply said that uh, if you are not barred from carrying a firearm or possessing a firearm, that you're able to carry one open. And, and that has gained a little momentum in some of the states. So that's going on right now. People are still, you know, Arizona for a long time has had an open carry law since, I don't know, probably the 60s or 70s. 
and I trucked. When I started trucking in, in, in the United States, I started around 1974, and I ran primarily Florida to California. And I went through Arizona. And even back then, you know, every once in a while, I would see maybe somebody on a motorcycle that had a firearm. But you, really, you know, even though they were allowed to open carry, most people really didn't. Some did. That was their right to do that. But you never really saw it. And to this day, in the states that I travel to, I don't see people carry a firearm. Now, let me also tell you, I've been in the trucking business since 1974. When I started, the trucking industry was a whole lot rougher than what it is now. You had the unions versus the independent truckers. There were trucker strikes in the 70s. There were two that I went through. Uh, There was another, not necessarily a strike, but what they call a job action. Uh, over in Newark, Delaware, that I was involved in. And I was on the New Jersey Turnpike with a loaded car carrier, an open car carrier one night, and I had a guy pull up alongside of me and shoot my truck. Took a couple of shots at my truck, though. They were ticked off because they had lost the contract, and we picked up the contract. We were an independent company, and they were a union company. And a couple of the union brothers decided that they were going to go out and harass us out on the road. And that's what they did. You know, we had several of our trucks shot at, including me. So, consequently, you know, and let's face it, there's two, almost three million trucks on the road today. Um, Our security and our safety is pretty much up to us, folks. You know, even back, that would have been, I'm going to say, around 1993 or 4, somewhere in that. No, excuse me, that would have been around 97 or 98. Um, even back now, when uh, when there was that one job action and we were getting shot at, uh, the Delaware and New Jersey and New York State Police couldn't be bothered. That was something that was between us and the union company. And consequently, we were on our own, folks. I know we had one guy uh, pull off in the uh, service plaza up on I-95 in Delaware, uh, up on the Delaware Turnpike, that pulled into the service plaza, and two guys jumped him in the parking lot and beat the hell out of him, one of, one of our drivers. You know, beat the hell out of one of our drivers. So, you multiply that by two or three million drivers out on the road. Um, most, even to now, even to nowadays, most times when a truck driver is pulled over by a state patrolman, automatically assumes that driver is armed. And if you decide that you're going to harass a truck driver, you should make that assumption as well. Assume that driver is armed, because that's the way it is out there, folks. You know, we don't uh, don't brandish weapons, we don't show weapons, and we don't brag about it. 
We just go on about our business. But I'll tell you what. I've been in situations where the gun had to come out. And I usually start somewhere around 1 o'clock in the morning and I finish up around 10. Now, at 1 o'clock in the morning in the meat market in Chicago, you're definitely on your own, folks. And I've had problems making my deliveries like that. And as you can see, I'm still here. So it all worked out in my favor, didn't it? And as long as we have that truck, I'm going to exercise that right. And I believe that people in a position where they feel their life is threatened, I believe they have every right and the responsibility to arm themselves. You know, you are your first line of defense, folks. And until the whack jobs do away with the Second Amendment, you will continue to be your first line of defense. You know, when when things happen, you're going to be dead for 19 or 8 minutes. What's your life worth? Going to jail for a while? Or going to the cemetery for eternity? That's up to you to decide. So now here we have it, Lou. We have a another mass shooting in America. Uh, we have five victims dead. And we have two groups of people. One that thinks taking away all the guns is going to stop murders in this country. And we have the other group that thinks arming everybody is going to stop murders in this country. Well, I'm trying to formulate it in my brain so I don't sound quite as aggressive and off the wall and so forth that I can get. (sighs) Taking the guns away isn't going to stop the murders because if somebody wants to murder somebody, they're going to find a way. They'll find some sort of a weapon, whether it be a gun, a knife, a baseball bat, what? They'll find a way. Right. And you're t- see, we're talking about taking away, because they don't give a damn about the law. Yeah, I know. There would be a, I mean, look at it this way, Lou. Um, <laughs> narcotics are illegal in this country. So if narcotics are illegal, why do we have a drug problem? <laughs> Because it's illegal. Right. And there's a black market for drugs. There's a black market for everything. Well, yeah. And people don't care. Look at that poor they guy. They want something, there. they're going to find a way. Look, look at that poor guy in New York that was choked to death by the police for selling loose cigarettes. I mean, cigarettes are a legal product in this country. But under certain circumstances, if you take them out of the pack and sell them on their own, you are violating tax laws, and then it, therefore that makes it illegal. Uh-huh. Yeah, because the Almighty wants their tax dollars so they can uh, spend it uh, for something that's not necessary instead of on things that are necessary.
Go ahead, Luke. I'm trying to figure out what that noise was. That's me. I was moving back to the back so I could get some cue Okay, uh, speaker came on. Yeah, I'm on speaker at the moment, and um, the reason I got some Q-tips is because my uh, laptop or my notebook computer is sitting in the sunlight. Mm. And when it's sitting in the sunlight, I see all the little dirt on it, so I'm thinking <laughs> my Q-tips are cleaning up. I'm trying to clean off my computer. Yeah, I know that feeling. Um, yeah. No, seriously, if regardless of what the laws are, people are going to do what they want to do. And that's why there's a black a black market. That's for those people that don't care and are gonna go skirt around the law to get what they want and to do what they want. Right. It's always been that way, and it will always be that way, I'm sure. And there's no amount of acting like idiots and and preaching things is going to change it. These people on their bandwagons might as well just fold up their bandwagons and go home because they're not going to change anything. Right. They're just going to make fools out of themselves. Okay. Um, I'm I'm back on my regular. I'm not on speaker now. Sounds anyway, better. Yeah, and um, you know, just to kind of get off the track here for just a second, but last week when I set up the show, I was looking at some of the information that Blog Talk Radio has, and they have a professional microphone that plugs into your and you can do your show using a professional microphone. Oh. Yeah, it's also a couple of hundred dollars. Anyway, I'm going to check that out because right now I'm using my uh, telephone connection. And and that, you know, doesn't make for the greatest sound quality. Right. I mean, if that clears the voice up, that would be well worth it. Yeah, definitely. I'll check into that. Anyway, okay. um, like I said, there's, there's the one, the one group that thinks taking away guns from, you know, guys in Minneapolis or or whatever is going to stop all of this bloodshed in this country, and that's simply not going to work because there are too many other things that can be used as weapons, and like Lou and I had pointed out. There is also a terrific mark years or so right now. So just a minute, Lou. You know, when I was born in 1951, folks, my dad was in the Army. He was a career tech uh, sergeant at the time. He made, uh, he made more than option in 1955. So for the first four years, he was a tech sergeant. Then after that, he was a warrant officer uh, all of my childhood. And pretty much everywhere that we went, we lived on, uh, some people call them military bases in the Army. We call them Army posts. And most of the Army posts that we lived on, uh, you were able 
to keep firearms in your quarters, in your home. I grew up literally, folks. I literally grew up in neighborhoods where virtually every neighbor had a gun. And, you know, somebody may argue and say, well, there might, you know, there might have been uh, somebody like uh, a doctor or a chaplain or whatever without firearms. When wrote, R-O-A-D, chaplain wrote, was there at uh, Minskoyer, Germany. And he was also an avid hunter. And I know he had shotguns in his quarter. He was also the guy that turned me on to Cuban cigars, too, though. Mm-hmm. Because in, in in Germany in the 60s, you know, I went to high school in Germany, folks, um, from uh, 65 to 68. And, uh, of course, this is when we had the Cuban embargo and all that. We couldn't, uh, couldn't buy cigars to Cuba. But the Germans could. And Chaplin wrote with a, with a cigar aficionado. And I remember he gave me a small box of real, genuine Cuban cigars. I think I was like 16 years old at the time. Anyway, in those neighborhoods, you know, in on military posts, when you knew that your father had his weapon at home and the guy next door had his weapon and so on and so on, you learned early, you don't touch the gun. Where every father taught us all the same thing. Do not touch their weapon. Period. And, you know, Lou, we had, it was very rare that you ever heard of an accidental shooting on a military base. You know, only one in my whole lifetime that I, that I even remember about, and that was when I was, what, about eight or nine years old where a father had way too much to drink and basically went off the deep end and was playing Russian roulette with his son and wound up killing his son. Uh-huh. About my same age. That's the yeah. only one I know about, Ed. You know that basically my, you know, I, I never served myself, but my military background was quite extensive, about 25 years' worth. Right. And that's the only incident that I know of. We didn't um, we didn't have accidental shootings. We didn't have intentional shootings around weapons, and we never we never played with the gun. I mean, my dad my dad had a, a you know, of course, when I was getting old enough to uh, to reach top drawer of the dresser and beyond, um, that's where my dad's forty five automatic was. Was was up in the top dresser drawer with that funky looking old style um, you know, kind of tan leather holster, shoulder holster and all that. We never touched that. And our friends never did. And then along in I believe nineteen ninety three uh, President Bill Clinton ordered weapons off the military post. Take your guns off base. You had to. You had to store. You could not 
have a firearm in your quarters, you have to store it off base someplace. And I would really love to go through the statistics of the last see exactly um, how many shootings per year accidental and intentional. You know, now I wasn't just on one military base, folks, and I know Lou wasn't either. And the military is kind of a small community at at best. If something happens somewhere, everybody hears about it. And I just don't remember ever hearing. Um, Firearms were on post. Every military base, you go into the quarters and you assume automatically that there is a weapon in in those quarters. And you leave it alone. Well, now some people, in, in relation to the Chattanooga shootings, now some people are talking about arming, uh, and some governors are issuing orders that their recruiting centers uh, be staffed with armed personnel. You know, a couple of months ago, not too long ago, Lou, ISIS put out a list of over 100 military people that should be targeted in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, folks, we're basically at war with with ISIS. They declared war on us. We just have yet to acknowledge it. You know, um, let's don't even get into the Obama administration and, and why they cannot acknowledge the fact that we are at war, that we are being attacked on our own soil. But yes, we are. If it is. Um, People who come over here expressly for the purpose of attacking us, you know, saboteurs, infiltrators, and all that, or if it is people here who sympathize with ISIS, whatever it is, they're shooting at us, folks. I believe that Chattanooga is going to be determined to be an act of war. You can call it domestic terrorism all day long. You know, that this kid might have been an ISIS sympathizer or a radical Islamic sympathizer. But when you put on their coat, you become their soldier. And therefore, attacking us is an act of war. Plain and simple. We're at war, folks. Remember after the September 11, 2001 attack, we, we had the Homeland Security ratings, you know, we went from one to five and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the threat level. Because we were attacked. We were at war. And that's kind of gone by the wayside. You know, you don't have the, uh, the threat levels like we did five, ten years ago. But the threats are still there. And they are multiplying. Do you have Radicals in the Middle East who want to kill Americans, but you have sympathizers in America who will, who will attack us. And ISIS has said, you know, attack military bases, attack the military here in our country. I really don't have a problem with um, with the governors issuing an armed order. 
put on the side. That's the way it works in this country, is that the governors are in charge of the National Guard. And it's up to each individual governor to make that determination based on the facts and evidence presented to them. And if they decide, let's go ahead and arm, well, that's their responsibility as governor to make that decision. I'm not governor of Colorado, so I could not make that decision for the state of governor. But I would look at it, and I would make the determination, and I would probably say to Colorado to be vigilant. If you see something, say something. You know, be aware of your surroundings. Understand that you are your own first line of defense. That's the way I grew up in the 50s and 60s overseas, folks. I was in places where um, we couldn't go out of our quarters, basically. We go from, from our apartment complex in the international section of Budapest. We could go to the embassies, and that was basically it. If we wanted to go in the town, you know, in the city of Budapest, um, we would go under escort because we were living in a communist country. Uh, Ethiopia, 1965, was, um, it wasn't that bad, but getting ready to have a war with, uh, with their uh, other factions, and that's uh, just before uh, the country of Eritrea came about. Where I live, in Ethiopia, is now in Eritrea. I was in Asmara, and at the time it was Asmara, Ethiopia. Now it's Asmara, Eritrea, because there was uh, a revolution there. There was a civil war, and they split into two countries. And then uh, going up into Germany, 1966, 67, 68, Bader-Meinhof Day in Germany, you had the Red Army faction in Italy. They were taking people hostages. You know, they were killing people. There were terrorist acts throughout Western Europe. I grew up in that. You know, and I remember the kind of interesting. Well, I think it was kind of funny. We used to hitchhike down all over Europe. And we would go down, down through Munich, uh, Salzburg, Austria, go down to uh, the Italian Alps, and we would hitchhike all the way to Rome at that. Once we got to Italy, Carbonari, um, at the bus station, at the uh, train station, on the street corners, and they were carrying automatic weapons. The Carbonari are the Italian National Police Force. You have the regular... Um, you know, the regular police for the towns and the cities, but you also have a national police force. And, and they're the ones with the funny-looking hats and the, and the submachine guns, you know, over their shoulders. And you would cross out of Austria into Italy or Switzerland into Italy, and all of a sudden you were in an armed camp. And they were just walking in pairs, looking around, checking everybody out, making, you know, just quietly walking about their business and you became aware because there may not be a carbonary 
on that street corner where somebody comes up and throws a grenade or takes a shot at you or whatever. And they were doing that, folks. So you have to watch out for yourself. Now, Italy, uh, even then, had restricted gun laws, but it wasn't illegal to own a weapon over there in Italy. And that's basically all they had was shot. Every once in a while, you would see a farmer, you know, out in the field with their dog, maybe some sheep, and the farmer had a shotgun swung over his shoulder. They never thought anything of it because that's the way they lived. And we respected and accepted that. But I don't know if I want to live in a country like that. You know, I don't know if I want to live in the United States where we have to go around armed and always wary of each other. And it is forcing the American people to take matters into their own hands. That's basically where we stand, folks. You know, we need um, some tight gun security in this country. And you're going to see uh, more security guards, more military police, and more regular police officers uh, out there with weapons. You know, I don't think we are at the point where everybody needs to carry a gun. Uh, like I said, Lou, you know, I've been in the trucking business a long time. When mm-hmm. I get out of my truck after dark, I have my own protection available. And that's the way it's been since 1974, folks. Because cops don't care. They don't patrol the parking lots of these truck stops at night. They don't drive up and down in the meat market. Hell, they're half scared of them anyway. You know, certain people need to protect themselves, truckers for one, people that work at night. Uh, I don't have a problem for her to have some kind of protection. Now, obviously, you know, most hospitals will provide escort service to their cars if they need it and all that. That's fine, and that's the way it should be. But if you're in a situation where your, your security is up to you, then you should avail yourself of whatever you need uh, to make sure that you're safe. And if nothing else, you're going to go down swinging or go down shooting. Okay, Liz. Your turn again. <laughs> oh. I have a number of friends that have a, um, a concealed carry license. And they do have their weapons with them, especially if they're away from home, um, et cetera, or they're going someplace they know can be a problem. They will go armed. I've not had a weapon in my house since way before my divorce, actually, when my husband quit being a cop. But the whole time our kids were growing up, there was a weapon in the house. If he was home, the weapon was there. If he was gone, it was with him. They never went anywhere near them. They never showed any interest in them at all. In fact, when my son went in um, the Air Force, he purposely failed the rifle range. 
because he didn't want to be in that area when it's medical. He was a, basically a crap shot. His dad said he had never seen anyone as, as sharp as him at 10 years of age. He had him out on a range, and he didn't miss anything. He had a a good eye for it. <clears throat> I hope, beyond all hope, that we never have to reach a point that we have to have a weapon on us 24-7, 365. Because that would be the worst feeling in the world as far as I'm concerned. I'm getting a lot of interference. You're getting a lot of interference. Yeah. All I'm hearing is this loud, raging noise. Is that better? That's much better. Yeah, I I had the phone on uh, speaker again. I was setting up on the uh, on the steering wheel. Mm. It does Probably. that when you put it on speaker. It it does that. It makes that noise the whole time, and I don't know if uh, I can even be heard. So, yeah. But okay. I I really hope now, the maybe. world does not come to that point. I really do. That's it. Okay. I tried it on mute too while you were talking. Mm-hmm. Oh, I okay. kept the sound out. Yeah, I kept the sound out. Anyway, um, where do we go from here? You know, it seems like every time there is a mass shooting of some sort, whether it's civilian or military or whatever, whether it is, uh, you know, the same poems who was just uh, just convicted of uh, murder in the Aurora, Colorado theater shooting. Um, mm-hmm. Now they are um, going back into court. I think they're in court two, starting Tuesday to determine whether he gets a death penalty or not. Um, mm-hmm. He pled uh, not guilty by reason of insanity, yet he prepared himself for these shootings and, and dressed up in camouflage, you know, in, in the black suit and all that kind of stuff. In other words, um, it wasn't insanity. He, he meant to do what he did. Uh, so that part of the trial is over. He was found guilty. And now they are getting into the penalty phase where uh, he's either going to get life or the death penalty. We passed laws reactively after the fact is you know after the crime is done we are not proactive we are reactive you know proactive is I remember when we went to Germany in, in late 65 we uh, got off the ship in Bremerhaven and we had a couple of days of orientation and all that ushered into uh, an auditorium and an army, I think major or lieutenant colonel come in and gave us the welcome to Germany speech. 
basically it was welcome to Germany. If you screw up, we're going to pack you up and send you back to the States, and it's going to go on your father's record. If you commit any crimes in Germany, we will pack you up and ship you off to the States, and it will go on your father's record. And they went through the whole thing. And I remember, uh, because I was into hunting and, and fishing and camping and all that as a teenager, hunting regulations in Germany and how strict they were, they said, yes, you can hunt in Germany, but only under certain conditions, and you have to go out with the Jägermeister, and the Jägermeister will point out what deer you can shoot. You can shoot the deer, and then they give the uh, the meat and everything to the local orphanage, and you can keep the trophy, and that's it, and it's very controlled. Um, I know that uh, at that point, my dad didn't have any personal firearms, but if you were to bring personal firearms into Germany, you had to have them registered and all that. Um, it was very restricted. It wasn't exclusionary, but it was highly restricted. And we knew in, in getting the Welcome to Germany talk, we knew if we did anything bad, we're going to get packed up and shipped back to the States and it goes on bad record. So there was a good incentive for us not to do anything stupid. You know, that was that was proactive. That was before the fact. We don't teach our kids the consequences of their actions, good or bad. And we haven't for a long time, folks. And we've had multiple generations of kids who were brought up thinking they could simply do whatever they want. And, and this is the consequences of it. You know, if you don't tell a kid you cannot do that, eventually they will try to do it. You know, but if you teach a kid right from the start, you don't handle guns, you don't touch guns, you don't play with guns. Guns are not a toy. If you teach them that right from the start, chances are they'll grow up knowing that. And there's less chance of them screwing up in the future. Even if you're a zealot as far as anti-gun, just because you hate guns doesn't mean your kid's not going to go next door where there happens to be a cop living. Guns in your home, you don't want anything to do with guns. Teach your children not to touch guns. Teach them. Be proactive, not reactive. Because your four or five or six-year-old kid is going to go next door not know right from wrong. And if a gun is there to pick up, they're going to pick it up and play with it because they haven't been taught the difference. They haven't been taught any better. You didn't do your job as a parent. Play with matches. You teach your kids, don't play with lighters. Teach them, don't play with guns. Teach them that. Before they can stand, teach them that. They will live a lot longer than you think. Anyway, let's see now. What do we got? We only have a couple of minutes here left. Lou. Mm-hmm. Um, close it out real quick. <clears throat> well, you pretty much lumped it up in a nutshell. And you know, teach your kids. Well, it would be nice if 
people would teach their kids a lot of things anymore. They teach them not hardly anything. They're too busy trying to get rid of them so they can do their own thing. But, yeah, everybody needs to realize that these are not toys to be left laying around for kids to get hold of. They need to be under lock and key. And the key needs to be where kids cannot get at it. It's the same with anything else. Pay attention and people don't get hurt. If you really are paying attention. Right. And that's all I really ask of anybody is, you know, Pay attention. Watch what you're doing. And you won't hurt someone else or yourself. I don't think that's a whole lot to ask of anybody. I try to do that. If I'm remiss, believe me, somebody will point it out. That's yeah, that's basically sure, it, Pat, and watch the roads. Okay. All right, good. Good. I appreciate uh Appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your thoughts today with me, Lou, uh, as usual. And uh, Lou uh, generally does my switchboard for me on Sundays when uh, when I'm out here on the road, but I just happened to get set up in time to, to work the switchboard today for myself. Anyway, I appreciate it, Lou, uh, and you're here and uh, your input and everything. Uh, folks, appreciate you listening today. And uh, I'll tell you, Lou, you know, we usually close out with the uh, We'll Meet Again song, but in uh, in honor and memory of our fallen military, I am going to play my uh, Guadalcanal March from Victory at Sea. So if you want to turn down your speakers a little bit, folks, um, please do. And, uh, and we will play that, and I'm going to go ahead after uh, after the show is over. I'm going to set up the show for next Sunday, 6 p.m., right here on uh, Blog Talk Radio, folks. So thank you, Lou. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you here next Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern, for the Interactive Internet. See you next Sunday, folks. 